you, the, the early service group, 9 a.m. Uh, at 11 o'clock, you won't be here, but be in prayer because the other half of the church family will be here. So um, I, I hope they're praying for us right now as we're meeting. Some of them may be sleeping. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but if you're not sleeping at 11, you take some time. And if you'd pray for us while we gather again, I would be greatly appreciative of it. Psalm 103 is where we're at here this morning. You know, there's a lot of things going on in the world. I don't have to tell you that, um, whether there has something to do with the virus. I, I read something just the other day that uh, I think it's in South America, uh, Mexico area, uh, so Central America there as well, that COVID-19 is starting to ramp up and they're seeing more cases and things like that. Um, other parts of the world, in the United States, it would seem that politically things are just out of control and uh, politicians going every different direction with things. And, and then, of course, lately, just this past week, we have rioting going on throughout our country. And uh, you see that some of the sites from Minneapolis and even last night in Grand Rapids. Um, and then last night there was a situation over near the Flint Township Police Department. And uh, uh, Sheriff Swanson and some other police officers there did an excellent job, uh, I believe. And uh, I don't believe there was any looting or rioting that took place. But uh, Miller Road was basically shut down. And with all this, all this stuff going on in our world today, some of it's right in our backyard. There's a lot of turmoil. There's fear. There's some fear, maybe even some within the auditorium this morning. Uh, there are some who maybe were not able to bring themselves to come and gather, and, and there's some concern, and legitimately so, right, in some ways. Uh, and I want to take some time this morning, and I appreciated the songs we were able to sing, how God is worthy of our worship, and He is worthy of our praise. Uh, he's worthy of our confidence and our trust. And I want to look at Psalm 103, and as David was penning down the psalm, he speaks, he really remembers who God is, and specifically how God has been merciful to him and what we can depend upon God to accomplish and do, what we can depend upon him to do. And that's one thing in in this world in which we live today. There are so many things that are um, we cannot depend upon. We, we we, We don't know what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what the future holds, perhaps. But we do know when it comes to the Lord, we know who he is. We know what he has done, and we know what he will do. And so in a time of uncertainty, a time of um, maybe fear for some, uh, we have a God who never changes. He never changes, and he always does that what is right. I want to I challenge you before we get into the passage. I want to encourage each one of you to this week, I want to I encourage you to praise and encourage somebody else in your life. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a mom or a dad. Um, maybe it's a fellow church member. I want to encourage you to praise that person, uh, to encourage them. You know, I think most of us are better at criticism. It comes more naturally to us than it does to praise someone and say, hey, thank you, or hey, great job in doing that. Um, I don't know if I'm uh, see the, I think I do know. If I'm a see the glass half full guy or a see the glass half empty kind of guy, um, if I walk into a room, I would probably be prone to see the problem before I'm prone to see, hey, this is great. And uh, 
You know, but I would encourage you, I'd challenge you this week in a time where there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uh, criticism going on. I would encourage you with those people who are closest to you, because sometimes we look around at the world stage and we say we can't do anything about that. And we find ourselves complaining and frustrated and some sometimes frustrated, rightfully so. But while we may not be able to do some things about certain things that are outside of our control, our influence, you and I have the opportunity to be positive and to encourage those who are within our sphere of influence, okay? And I want to, I want to challenge you to do that. Look for an opportunity this week uh, to do that. So catch somebody doing something right and, and praise them for doing it. Thank them for doing it. Praise them right on the spot. Don't wait because you'll probably move on to something negative. Let's take, let's take a look at our passage. Psalm 103. We're going to look at the first five verses this morning. Psalm 103, uh, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it aloud. David says this. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of gathering together. Uh, Father, I pray for our nation. Um, different rulings coming down from the Supreme Court. and Leadership making decisions. And Father, we look to your word for direction and guidance. And Father, we're thankful for this nation in which we live, but as believers, we're reminded that this world is not our home, that there's an eternity that awaits as citizens of heaven forever. And Lord, I thank you that you never change, that we can count on you. So Lord, in a world that is continually changing, I pray this morning that you would comfort our hearts and encourage us that there is a glorious future and that before that arrives, we have you every day today. So speak to us and lead us by your word, I pray in Christ's name. I ask these things. Amen. You know, in the book of, in the Old Testament, earlier even than Psalms, in the book of Numbers, in the middle part of that book, we read, uh, really, I think, a sad story about the nation of Israel. And in that middle portion of the book of Numbers, in chapters 10, 11, I think 12, and 13, all account for this, you find the people of Israel and they're in the wilderness and you find them in those chapters specifically complaining. And of course, they're complaining about a lot of different things. Uh, God had delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt. He brought them across the Red Sea on dry land. And yet in those chapters in the book of Numbers, you find the people of Israel and they're griping and they're complaining and they're moaning and they're groaning. And uh, it doesn't seem to be at that point in their lives that anything is okay. Nothing meets their standard. Nothing is right in the world for them. God, of course, sent manna from heaven to provide for their physical needs. And they were okay with that for a while. But eventually they began to hate that and detest it and moan and complain about the manna. Then you remember how they talked about the good food that they used to have in Egypt. And, uh, and, it, and they longed, in fact, to go back into slavery just so that the, they could have those meals again. Um, and, and you think about it, they were willing to trade their liberty for, for some food. 
They were willing to trade their freedom for a little bit of food, for a better menu. And so you remember God sent quail to provide them with some meat to eat. And that was better for a while until they began to choke on that. And it wasn't before long before they were complaining about the quail that God had sent. It's so hard to understand the people of Israel, isn't it? They're complaining, never satisfied with what God gave them. Except it isn't that hard because uh, there's there's a reality with all every one of us in our lives that Despite no matter what and no matter what God gives us, no matter how much God blesses us, there comes a point where we start to look around and long for things that maybe we used to have or that others have. So I guess it's not so hard to understand the people of Israel after all. If we weren't so much like them, maybe it'd be harder. You know, David penned down this passage of Scripture at a time in his life when he could look back and he could speak from experience about the mercies of God in his life. Have you experienced the mercy of God in your life? Just over the past couple of months, this is a truth that, frankly, I've been overwhelmed with. How merciful God has been to me. God not giving me what I have deserved. And David is writing this psalm. He's he's reflecting upon the mercies of God. And in the first five verses, David remembers very specifically how He has experienced God's mercy to him as an individual. Uh, In verse number 6 down through verse number 18, David remembers the mercy of God and how God has been so merciful to the nation of Israel. And really, David in this psalm is calling all of us who have been created by God, all of God's created beings, to praise the Lord. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Now think about that. I'm not going to spend much time with that, but he's calling us to praise Jehovah, to praise the creator, to praise the God of heaven and earth. And he's saying it, he's speaking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Sometimes we're, we're pulled in different directions, even within ourselves, desiring one way or being thankful to God for something, but in the other part of us being pulled another way. And David is saying, oh, oh, that I would praise God with every fiber of my being. Verse two, he says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And David is calling us to intentional praise of God. I was troubled last night. Lieutenant Baldwin texted me, this is what's going on. And, of course, the the scenes of Minneapolis are in my mind. All the stuff's been going on in New York, Brooklyn area. And uh, I didn't know what was going on with Grand Rapids. These are are troublesome things. There have been more than one occasion over the past couple of months with with the whole COVID-19 issue. And uh, no matter what's going on in this world, and I say that very intentionally, no matter what is going on in this world, you and I can intentionally praise the Lord. He never changes. And and that is a, a wonderful and incredible truth. He never changes his goodness, his character, who he is. He never changes. He is just. He is righteous. He 
He is holy. He always does what is right. In a world that is continually changing, he never changes. And so we can praise him with our whole heart. And we can praise him very intentionally. And I want to notice, really, I think, five benefits of the Lord that we must not forget. And five benefits of the Lord that we ought to praise him for. And I I want to encourage you to praise him for these things this morning. First of all, this morning, I notice that we can be thankful for God's complete forgiveness. And that's what he, he talks about this. Look at verse number three, the beginning part. He says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Now, in verse two and in verse one, he's reminding himself and we're being reminded that we are to praise the Lord. That's what it means to bless, to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We might ask the question. Some of us might ask the question, why should I praise God? Most of us here would say, I know why, or, or my heart is already full of praise for him, full of gratitude to him. There are some, and there are times even in my own life where I don't feel like praising the Lord. In verse 2, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And David has to tell himself this. Don't forget the benefits that God has provided you with. And the first benefit he draws our attention to is the reality that God has forgiven us completely, all those who have put their faith and trust in Christ alone. And so David begins by reminding us that God has forgiven all of our iniquity. Sin. Sin. It's a problem. It's the, it's the reason why there's rioting. Sin. It's the reason why there are deaths or murders that take place in our, in our land. Sin. We all had a problem with sin. Romans chapter 3 talks about that. It says there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, it says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. Again, I'll read that. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, through the name of Jesus Christ, Whosoever believeth in him, who puts his faith and trust in Christ alone, shall receive remission of sins, forgiveness of sins. You've probably heard my salvation testimony at nauseum. So if I tell it to you, you've heard it so many times. So think about your own. The day that you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. You, at that moment, on that day, received forgiveness of your sins. That's an amazing reality. Notice that David says that God forgives all our iniquity. That's what he says in verse 3, the beginning part. You know, some of us have really blown it big time. Frankly, we all have. We've messed up over and over and over again. And we've done sometimes the same ridiculous, a word we're not allowed to use in our home, dumb things, repeatedly. 
even after promising never to do them again, coming under intense conviction and making a decision, you know what, and agreeing with God, that is wrong and I'm not going to do it again, and then going back and doing it again. And that's humanity. Some people are more disciplined than others, some less disciplined than others. But the reality is sin is a problem within humanity. And so I'm glad that the word all is included in the beginning of verse number three, where he says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Because all includes not just the sins of the past or not just the sins of today, but all sins, the sins of the future. And David is praising the Lord that God has forgiven him all of his sins. Now let me read to you several portions of Scripture regarding the forgiveness of our sins. And I want you to just let them wash over you, and they'll encourage your heart. In 1 John 2 and verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You're in Psalm 103. Look down to verse number 12. Verse 12 in Psalm 103, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he, God, removed our transgressions from us. He's taken your sins. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and many here this morning have, God has done something that no man could ever do. He's taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. And I love how that is written because if you go west, you will never meet east. You just keep going. And if you go east, you will never meet west. You just keep going east. You can't say that for north and south can't say it. But east and west you can. And God has taken our sins for all those who have trusted in him. He's taken my sins. He's taken them away. They're gone. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I remember growing up as a boy and uh, I was under the impression, and this wasn't something that, that I'd been taught. It was just something that I had come to in my own understanding. And the understanding was this. I believed as a child that if I had received Christ as my Savior, that I was forgiven of my sins. But the problem was, in my mind, I felt that, well, I knew that I still sinned. And so in my limited understanding, I, I was under the assumption that all of my sins up to the point of salvation were forgiven, but all my sins after salvation were covered. And so I found myself feeling very guilty and at times very afraid because if my sins weren't covered, that means I would have to pay for my sins. <laughs> and so I, I thought, okay, I've been saved at this point in my life. I've been forgiven of all these sins, but what about all the sins after that? And I can remember being concerned and yet, as I've read to you these scriptures this morning about the forgiveness of sins, uh, and, and even in just the very simple statement in verse number three, the beginning part, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. David is referring to not just the sins of the past or not just the sins of this week, uh, but all sins into the future, all sins. And so when I received Lord Jesus Christ as a young boy, 
I was forgiven of my sins, not just up to that point, or not just sins up through my teenage years, or up through my 20s, or up through my 30s, and now into my 40s, but also the sins, whatever sins I will ever commit for the entirety, the totality of my life. He has taken them away. So, his benefits. We can be thankful. We must not forget that God has forgiven us completely. Secondly, I notice in verse number three that we can be thankful for God's healing. We can be thankful for God's healing. Look at verse number three, the latter part. He says, who healeth all thy diseases. Who healeth all thy diseases. You know, we have knowledgeable doctors today. And uh, Dr. Norell, some are more knowledgeable than others. But I wouldn't want that pressure of being a doctor. We have nurses who are hardworking. We have good insurance, many of us. Of course, um, the Affordable Care Act was put in uh, upon all of us for the purpose of supposed purpose of providing that for all people. We have the latest technology. We have the newest drugs. But in reality, in reality, healing and health come from God alone. And David is saying that all healing is of God, in verse 3, the latter part, who healeth all thy diseases. And so if you're sick and you're now healthy, you ought to give praise to God. Several of, of you this morning have even shared with me how earlier in the winter you were very un, you were very sick. You were sickly, and yet God has given you health. You ought to praise the Lord for that. If your cancer is in remission, you ought to give thanks to the Lord. If, you're, if you nearly died... Uh, maybe in a car accident, but somehow survived, you ought to give thanks and praise to the Lord. And we ought to remember that any healing in life is limited and temporary. I remember that. Because our ultimate healing comes when we are raised immortal and incorruptible. This is very important. This life is not all there is for us. We who are saved, this life is not all there is. And aren't we grateful for that? There is an eternity of life to come for the child of God. Our ultimate healing comes someday when we're raised immortal and incorruptible. And on that happy resurrection day when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians tells us, then at last we will be totally, completely and finally healed once and for all. Between now and the rapture, though, let us give thanks for every little bit of healing we experience. And so if you took an aspirin this morning to make your headache go away and God took your headache away, give praise to the Lord. There's a, four, or a third benefit I noticed in this passage. Look at it, verse number four, the beginning part. And I noticed thirdly, we can be thankful for God's deliverance. We can be thankful for God's deliverance. Look at verse four, the beginning part. He says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Redeemeth thy life from destruction. The word redeem means to rescue from danger in a time of trouble. Destruction, the pit, refers to death itself. It's our God who delivers us from disasters. On southbound I-75, they have a sign they'll put up from time to time, and it keeps a, a total 
running count of those people in Michigan who are killed in automobile accidents. And as you drive past it throughout the year, you see the number rise. Little by little throughout the year, and the number gets bigger and bigger. And every year, many people die in the state of Michigan in automobile accidents. And every year, they reset it to zero, and they start again, counting those deaths. And you could think of the thousands of miles you've driven over this past year and how God has protected you. Every day, people are killed on the roads, and yet you are here. God has spared your life, and he has seen fit to give you life in this life. You could have been killed, but you haven't been. He's given you life. Over the past couple of months, I have a website I'll go to just about every night, and I'll look at the death total as they are accounting for it. Seems to be some concern about the numbers and how they're keeping track of those numbers. But I'll go and I'll keep track of the supposed numbers that they're giving to st statistics for the COVID-19 deaths. And over the past couple of months, I've watched those numbers rise steadily. Every day, I'll see how many they're accounting for in the state of Michigan or how many they'll account for for the, the states of our country. I think of heart disease and how in America, over, over a half a million people die every year from heart disease. Think about that. They're, they were accounting for about 100,000 COVID-19 deaths in America. This year, every every year in America, over a half a million people die from heart disease. They don't keep track of that number on the nightly news every night to strike fear into our hearts. Okay. Or how about influenza, right? So a bad influenza A season is what? 70,000 or 80,000 people. A moderate influenza A season is... 45,000 people every year pass from that. And my point is this, if God willed it to be so, I would die today. And if God willed it to be so, there is nothing that I could do to stop it. And that's true for you. And the opposite is also true. And, and, and I suppose it's true that I might die today. But the point is this. It cannot happen today unless God wills it to be so. And it cannot happen to you today unless God wills it to be so. Are you following me? In verse 4, again, the beginning part, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. He is the one who keeps your life. God is keeping your life. And there is nobody who could take your life unless God allowed it. And so in a very, very real way, what I'm saying is you are immortal unless God says it's time for you to come home. He is the giver of life. And he is the only one who can take it. I think we are living in a day and age where there is more and more emphasis being put on, well, I am the keeper of it. Or someone else needs to be the keeper of it. I need someone else to save me. No, God is the Savior, and God is the keeper of life. He is the giver, and he is the one who holds the keys to death and hell as well. So it cannot happen without God's permission. And I hope that's an encouragement to you today. And I'm not saying that we ought not be careful, we ought not be prudent, but we ought not live in fear either. 
And many this morning have lived, you have lived long lives. You, many of you this morning have lived lengths of lives that I have not seen yet, and a, light, a length of life that I may never see. But God has seen you through so many things. He has kept your life. Now is not the time to be afraid and to live in fear, but to be reminded that we are the believers in God. We are the ones who know the God of the Bible. We are the ones who can trust him, and he is the one who numbers our days. And he will call us home when he is ready and not before. So Satan cannot touch us without God's permission. And when the time comes to die, we will die. And there will be no stopping that. You remember Paul, he said, for to me to live is Christ. And we ought to say, I ought to say this, we ought to be reminded of this this morning. But to die is what? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Die is gain. Now, I love life. I love my children, my wife. And I would like to live a long life. I'd like to see grandchildren someday. These are my daughters, about how many grandchildren I would like to have. Someone the other day just told me that grandchildren are even better than children. I was, I was telling that person how much I love my children at this stage of life. is just so fun. You remember the old swimming pool we had in our backyard I talked to you about years ago? It was full of had snakes and turtles and tadpoles by the thousands. And Oh, uh, someone's alarm is going off. But we had tadpoles by literally, I think, the thousands in that. And we had frogs. And it was just a nasty... It was terrible, a terrible place. Well, everybody take out your key fob and hit the lock button, or the unlock button. <laughs> you, know, you hit the wrong button. <laughs> got it? Got it? All right. When I said hit the button, I meant the one that turns it off. So anyway, so we got the pool fixed, okay? Much, you know, all, a bunch of work, and we got rid of all the tadpoles. My children were see, sad to see them go. So it, it's all fixed. So now the pool actually functions, and it's blue. So I opened it up a couple of weeks ago. And my children wanted to get in it and swim. And the first time they jumped in was on a Thursday, and the water temperature was 56 degrees. Was it cold? It was cold. Olivia was the last child out. She was in there for like two hours. I think she's part seal. We're going to check. But they swam the next day, and it got up to like 58, 59 degrees. Swam for hours. Again. The uh, Before the horns and that pool story, I'll just get back to the message. The point is this. We cannot... We cannot, our lives are in God's hands. And I want you to know that. I want you to remember that. There's so much fear in the world today. And, and I understand that because they have no hope for the future. This life is all they have. Do you understand that? When you think about what that would be like to live life on this earth, and this life is it. And, it, and if it ends, it's over. That's it. I, I haven't fulfilled. I haven't been able to live it to the fullest or... 
what, what could have been, and yet God is the one who numbers our days. Rest in that reality. Rest in that reality. We ought to be able to walk out this door today. We've taken precautions. We're all sitting apart like it's a Sunday night service. Take precautions. Be careful. Seek wisdom. Don't be foolhardy. But at the end of the day, my life is in God's hands, and so is yours. And when he says, it's time to come home, Seth, Paul said, to die is gain. It's even better. I don't. I, I, I love my children in this stage of life, but that's what it was. This fellow says grandkids are even better. All right. Number four. Number four. Um, a fourth benefit I see in this passage is that we can be thankful for God's goodness. He's good to us. Look at verse number four, the, the, the latter part of verse number four. He says, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. The word crowneth means to encircle in protection. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And, and, and So what does he crown us with? He crowns us with loving kindness. That's a wonderful word. You think about that. That's not a word we use a lot. Loving kindness, all wrapped into one. That's a beautiful word. Loving kindness. Kindness, rarely reproof, although he does reprove us. Good deeds, mercy, has the idea of pity as well. And then he says tender mercies, which has the idea of compassion. It actually means the womb, as in a mother's womb, who that protects and nourishes her baby. Tender love. Mercy. And I have to ask myself, and I mentioned this earlier in the message, but are we thankful for the loyal, the love of God that is so loyal to us? Isn't it good to be loved by somebody else? Someone, their love just doesn't end. They just keep loving you. And you mess up and say things you shouldn't and do things you shouldn't. And yet that person just keeps loving you. My parents have done that throughout my life. And uh, many of you have loved me that way. I, I, am, I have been blessed by having a wife who loves me that way. So it, it's wonderful, this idea of a love that's unending or a, a love that doesn't change. And this is God's love, so even greater, so much greater than an individual or a person's love. So are we thankful for this loyal, unending, unchanging love of God toward us? He heaps his blessings upon us. He pours them out upon us. And, and I notice he doesn't say um, we're crowned with tender justice. There's nothing tender about justice, is there? Mercy implies failure. It does, doesn't it? Mercy implies failure. Mercy implies that there's been some defeat along the way. And tender mercy means that God knows what we are going through. He knows what we've done, and he meets us right where we are, right in our failures, right in our need of him. He meets us there. And if we're to receive what we truly deserve from God, we, we wouldn't stand a chance. None of us would stand a chance if we received the justice of God. So instead of justice, God gives us tender mercies, mercies upon mercy, mercy upon mercy, again and again and again, God not giving us what we deserve. And David, as he prays, 
He speaks, he writes these words, he said, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Fifthly, and finally, I notice that we can be thankful for God's provision. We can be thankful for God's provision. Look at verse number five. It says, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The text says that he satisfies us with good. And that means that there's nothing on earth that can satisfy us as deeply as God himself. What are some of the things that you long for? What are some of the things that you desire? Nothing in this life, not better health, not a shiny new toy, nothing in this life can satisfy Only God can satisfy. And God satisfies us with himself. And the good of verse 5 comes from God. Again, it's not from anything around us. And God here is not promising us some certain material benefits, or whether it be money or status or promotion or some sort of earthly prosperity, if we'll serve him. That's not what he's saying. Or, or, excuse me, David is talking here about how he belongs to, to God, and God provides for his every need. That word satisfieth means to fill completely, to have enough, to be full of, to have plenty of, to be weary of even, to have so much I can't possibly take it. There's nothing else I need. I have everything that I need. And when I walk in my flesh, I don't feel that way. I walk in the spirit and I say yes to him. I find that I am completely full. When I was in college, I would eat, of course, you had to eat the college food. And somehow, as terrible as it was, somehow I gained weight eating it. So I don't know how nutritious it was. But I can remember coming home to mom and dad's house, and I'm the oldest, so Heather was younger, and Nathan and Josh were younger. And I'd come home to the house, and uh, mom had a way of making you feel very special when you'd been away. I felt like I was the most important child at that point. And uh, and she would make me my favorite meal, and she knew what it was. She didn't have to ask, and she would make a pot roast. This was the favorite meal that she she would make. And I and I and she would make it, and she would you know, have carrots in it, potatoes in there. And then she'd have some green beans on the side, and then there would be a salad. And then she'd make her homemade bread rolls. And it's way too early for any of you to be hungry, okay? We're not, we're not, Scott, we're not close to lunch. All right. So and she would make this meal and it was the it was the way that she she had made it all my life. And it was just perfect. The meat would be so tender, you know, it was just perfect. And I would eat that roast beef. And I would eat those carrots cooked in those juices and those potatoes, and the green beans and the salad and bread rolls along the way through the meal. And then there would be dessert. But after I had had a helping and then another helping, you know, dessert was kind of almost optional at that point because I was so completely satisfied. I mean, you could have offered me, and I enjoy pizza, but I wouldn't have wanted pizza if you put it in front of me. Tacos or whatever, but nothing, There, I couldn't possibly eat anymore. It was the best thing. It was everything that I had longed for. It was it just completely satisfied. You know, though, even with a meal, there comes a point. If you've eaten a meal like that, eventually you will begin to hunger again. 
God is our portion. The Lord Jesus Christ lives within us. And that that part of every human being that was designed by God to be filled by God, that part of every one of us that we were designed to worship God, when we're trying to worship the things of this world that never quite satisfies, but when we worship the one and true God of heaven and earth, we find that it truly satisfies us. And that's what David is saying here, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, with good, is what he says, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. To be renewed, to be new again, to be repaired, to be rebuilt. Isaiah 40 and verse 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So as we gather, we've been able to gather today, I hope that your heart has been drawn out to just praise the Lord and and just to worship the Lord and to be grateful for him and to consider his benefits and how over the past couple of months, how he has satisfied you, how you have found yourself being provided by or for by him. And I hope that your heart is drawn out to just thank him and praise him. I want to close with a hymn, but before we do, let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. Father,